0: Hi everyone, Boris here. Sorry for the quick interruption, but I have to tell you about some exciting new job openings that are added to the LogTechies job board. Have you heard of the LogTechies job board? LogTechies is the first hand-curated job board for the field of logistics technology. That's where I post the coolest LogTech jobs at those companies that I currently find the most interesting. Brand new to the board is Bex Technologies from Stuttgart, Germany. Bex is building a logistics platform for the construction industry that helps companies coordinate deliveries to construction sites. I've had CEO and co-founder Leonard Paul on the podcast before, and I know they're going places. Right now, they're hiring for a number of exciting roles, including a CFO COO and a head of logistics. Aleiko from Munich, Germany, is another new addition to the LogTechies job board. Aleiko offers seamless e-commerce fulfillment for fast-rising online shops and e-commerce brands. The company raised $30 million in Series A round earlier this year and is now on an ambitious growth trajectory. They are looking to fill a number of sales roles, for example. For junior as well as for seasoned professionals, you should definitely take a look at Elyco's openings. Aside from Bex Technologies and Elyco, you will also find exciting roles from TradeLink, Noise Technologies, FanRight, Sender, and others. Please have a look and follow the board so you can stay updated on when new companies and jobs get added. You find the LogTechies job board at logtechiescom L O G T E C H I E S.com. logtechies.com All right, and now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm your host Boris Felgendrea and my guest today is Björn Frank Janssen. Björn is a well-known industry figure and a veteran of the global logistics business. He has seen the world of supply chains from many different angles. From the ocean carrier perspective, from the 3PL perspective, from the perspective of a manufacturing brand with a global footprint, and now as an advisor at the consulting firm Sea Intelligence. For this episode I talked to Björn about the perfect storm of transportation and supply chain disruption that is brewing on the horizon as a result of the lockdowns in China. Bjorn has some very keen observations and assessments about how that crisis situation there will inevitably spill over and cause all kinds of first, second and third order effects across global logistics and supply chains. Super interesting and also quite scary stuff. Before we get started, a quick thanks to our supporters Grey Orange. Grey Orange automates warehouse operations through a combination of AI software and autonomous mobile robots. Grey Orange systems are in place at some very prominent companies such as IKEA or the Danish household goods and furniture retailer Jysk. If you're looking to get your warehouse and fulfillment operation to the next level with the help of autonomous robots and automation, you should definitely have Gray Orange on your list. Check them out at grayorange.com. All right. And now we're on to the show with bjorn Feng Fink-Jensen from C-Intelligence. Enjoy. Hello, Björn, my friend. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program, man.
1: Thank you, Boris. It's uh, great to be back, I guess, and, uh, and congratulations on this uh, excellent series. Cool. Thank you. Glad to be on, and slightly scared about where this conversation is going to go because, as we talked about just now, it's sort of a free-flowing conversation, so you never know. That's how we roll. I have no
0: notes prepared, no nothing, no questions. That's how we roll. But of course, I've done my research. I've, I've monitored the scene. I've read some articles that appeared that we were quoted in Wall Street Journal and LinkedIn Post. So of course, I, I yeah. mentioned briefly in my intro that I recorded prior to our conversation what your background is. But maybe in a short pitch, just give people a quick idea for those few people in the audience that don't know you. Please give us a, the quick <laughs> version <laughs> of Rubionis.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, for the Confidence Booster, no, I, uh, I, I've worked about 37 years in international supply chain uh, management. And, and uh, what I uh, bring to the table is experience from nearly every facet of it. So I've worked for a, a carrier, got my background in Maersk, uh then went into freight forwarding, from there into 3PL, uh, completely left shipping and, and fell in love with supply chain network design, uh, risk management simulations. Uh, and all the math behind it, Cat supported me into uh, to uh, Electrolux mm-hmm. uh, where I sat for 15 years, first as head of supply chain for Asia Pacific and then as, as head of global logistics based in, uh, in Singapore. Spent most of my career in Asia, a little bit in the US and um, now back in Denmark, uh, which is obviously where I'm from, feel that I'm finally old enough and wise enough and have <laughs> enough gray hair to be a consultant. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's going well too. It's, uh, these are crazy times, and, uh, and and we're we're really happy that we're able to help people uh, navigate.
0: Yeah, and it looks like you jumped ship right before shit hits the fan. That's when you decided to uh, yeah, move from the active uh, role to the consulting role.
1: Uh, yeah, it was one of those uh, one of those uh, <laughs> you know serendipitous events. I think uh, uh, serendipity sometimes plays, nearly always plays, a role in people's career and where it takes them and. Uh, I guess, yeah, the right place at the right time. I sometimes think of how difficult it would be and what sort of hell I would have to go through if I sat in my old chair having yeah. to be the goalkeeper for what's going on in the market. And I'm quite happy to be on the other side or in the middle of it. I'm, not, I'm actually on the other side of it because the other side is obviously the service providers. But to sit in the middle is fascinating because you really get to see the, the games that are played between the two sides almost mm-hmm. from a distance, and then you can sort of dive in and help people navigate it in a, in, a, in a proper way.
0: Yeah, and, I, and as you know, I, I talked to your colleague, um, Jochen Gutschmidt, in mm-hmm. August of last year, so that's yeah. just about eight months ago we talked about, yes, it, it's an analysis of the global shipping chaos, right? Here we right. are eight months later, and what's going on is the… So depending on who you talk to and who you speak to, it's either we're still in the middle of the big crisis, stuff is over, it's getting better, or the other extreme. Okay, what's happening now? China lockdown, Ukraine war, all of that stuff happening mm. is the big daddy, and, and put it all together and shit with the van, and we're we'll, we'll, we're gonna experience stuff we've never really seen. Where like just as a quick, where do you fall before we jump into details?
1: I fall on the on the on the pessimistic side, which is not my nature. The mm-hmm. uh, uh, those who know me would not would not place me in that basket. I fall on the pessimistic side, but I don't take sides because I think the outlook is 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 very challenging and will remain challenging for a very long time for both sides. It, obviously, there are enormous conflicts between carriers and and uh, and their customers right now, mainly related to freight rates and and and, and schedule accuracy, which is appalling <laughs> uh, uh to, to put it mildly um but also uh the carriers themselves let's not forget that it's also no fun to try and run a shipping line when ports close down willy-nilly all over the place and and uh, and carriers are yelling uh, sorry customers are yelling at you from their side and and, and you're under pressure to maximize uh, yield because a as a carrier you basically haven't made any money uh, for for ten or fifteen years, and now's the time to to make hay while the while the sun shines. I can sympathize with that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but the violence and the speed with which it's happened is 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 is, is i think Brutal. what's causing the yeah. causing the um the rift and it is a genuine rift. Uh, there is tremendous amount of what I've in other articles called bad blood right mm-hmm. now between, uh, between carriers and their customers. Again, going back to the, 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 speed, the brutality, the scale of the changes, especially on the rate side, of course, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, because, because customers have been used to a whole different world, right? A world in which they didn't have to worry about space because it was always available somewhere. Yeah uh some carrier would always gladly take those extra boxes and 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 say thank you uh Mm -hmm. and 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 so you have what i'm seeing and sensing you have a whole almost a generation uh or or a cycle of procurement professionals who have never seen a crisis let alone a crisis of this magnitude right i mean the last time we saw something like this was probably in 2010 (laughs) right after the financial crisis you remember obviously who doesn't that uh, you know uh, the, the the rates plummeted in 2009 to completely ridiculous levels i remember being offered by a reputable carrier a rate from shanghai to santos of 50 dollars per iq ball in uh, mm-hmm. just just to move the box right um uh, carriers, uh, shippers were ripping up contracts and renegotiating and and in uh, 2010, of course, the shoe was on the other foot, and the shippers who, who behaved very badly, they uh, they paid the price, right? Yeah. But uh, different. If you look at the magnitude, right? In those days, okay. So that container from from Shanghai to Santos, just to name an example, right, was prior to the crisis 2,500 dollars. During the crisis, okay, fifty dollars was an outlier, but certainly six to eight, nine hundred, right? And then it went up to four thousand and we thought the sky was falling. Mm. Right? <laughs> now I haven't checked the rate from Shanghai to Santos lately, but I'm I'm betting it's well north of ten thousand dollars. That's what I mean when I say the brutality and the scale and the speed with which it happened. Nobody saw it coming. Yeah. Right? And all of a sudden it went like whoom, right? Just just took off. I mean, we've all seen the charts of rate developments, uh, and how they just basically went went vertical within a space of six to eight months. Caught shippers completely unprepared, BCOs completely unprepared, and um, Keres took advances and did it swiftly, very swiftly. That causes bad blood because of the way in which it was done, right? There was no... Uh, the sense is that there was no uh, uh, consultation, no adult conversations between even large VCOs and, and carriers. And even the really large ones, uh, the ones who ship north of 500,000 TU, are also experiencing the fact that they are now the peasant and the, and the and the carriers, the emperor, and it used to be the other way around. It's very difficult. Mm. Now, where does it, where do we come down on this? First of all, if I had the answer to it, we'd be having this conversation from from my yacht in the Bahamas, <laughs> uh, because I'd bought a lot of futures in a lot of companies. Uh, but uh, sadly, we're we're not in the Bahamas, and I'm not on a yacht. My guess right now is that we're going to go through at least the first half of 2023 before we see it. I've seen announcements from carriers; most came out. Uh, Connection with the launch of the the, the publication of their quarterly results, and said we think there may be a few green shoots towards normalization of volumes maybe in quarter three this year. But who who knows? Who knows? I think that's basically expectation management towards the investor group Mm -hmm. uh, hedging their bets just in case something bad happens from the carrier standpoint i don't believe it's going to be that uh, that quick the only thing that can truly quote-unquote normalize this thing would be a disaster for everybody because that would be a global recession Mm. now we're back in 2008 right if we go back to that well then things will change dramatically unfortunately no one will have learned the lesson it will now basically be the ship of squeezing the carriers uh, uh until the last drop of blood leaves them uh, and and, and behavior will not change. It will not change. Uh, I'm so pessimistic about that because I see it. I I see it in reality. I'm not speculating here. Work with companies who can't wait until the shoe comes back on their foot, right?
0: Yeah, let's reverse the clock real quick until the beginning of this year from the Mm -hmm. vantage point of… We didn't know about COVID hitting so bad and infecting China again Mm -hmm. second, third time, whatever. We didn't know or nobody expected a war to break out in Europe. What was the vantage point at the beginning of the year?
1: The vantage point at the beginning of the year was that that, that towards the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, we start seeing new vessels come out. There is great optimism, especially among shippers, that that would mean... A, a dramatic increase in supply, which would level set the whole thing and, and we could have having more adult conversations. I think that assumption was wrong from the get go and I've called it out as wrong from the get go because only a few of those vessels will be delivered at that time. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and, and let's remember it takes, you know, probably nine vessels to run the U S string. It takes 10 or 11 vessels to run a Europe string at the moment. Until you have ten or eleven of them out, you can't start a new string that 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 operates with the same number of or type of vessels, right? So that's going to take time. And also, while it won't be a zero sum game, a lot of vessels will exit in the other end. A lot of the capacity that's currently deployed really shouldn't be floating. You have forty year old Panamax ships that are massive polluters. They will not be able to steam at any kind of speed, maybe not over twelve knots. Uh, because of IMO 2023, so they've mm-hmm. essentially got 10 maximum, no, 8 months left of deployment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then you got uh, a bunch of carriers that have readjusted their uh, depreciation uh, period, uh, even for the for the vessels that came out, let's say 12 years ago to 10 years, so you can see some of the first 14,000 TU vessels actually being scrapped uh, if they need to be. So It's not a zero-sum game, but it won't add huge amounts of capacity. And also, and here comes the kicker, the sting in the tail is, even if they did, it doesn't matter whether you add more capacity. First of all, if you look at overall global container demand versus global container capacity, it's nearly balanced now. There is enough capacity out there. The problem is not the ships. The problem is not the availability of slots. The problem is in the bottlenecks that are the ports and the hinterlands. And that brings us to China, right? Or to the West <laughs> yeah. Coast or the East Coast. I mean, you can go wherever you want with this, right? But, but because, because the problem is real everywhere, also in Europe, where we avoided it for a while, but there is plenty of congestion in Europe now as well. There are plenty of shortages of tri- uh, truck drivers, trucks, pallets. Uh, you know, it, it's a mess uh, out there. But, let, but let's start with China, if you don't mind.
0: Let's let's do that. Let's. So we're recording this April twenty eighth, mm-hmm. uh, two thousand twenty two. This episode will air at the beginning of, oh, be, of May. I feel so like I just- I'm
1: about to. <laughs> yeah, huh? for a prediction, I'm going to be hung up on. Uh,
0: well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Don't worry about that. But, oh but just just for reference, so people know what you know what part of this crisis we're talking about. It's a snapshot in time. Who knows what's going to happen next week? You know, who knows what's going to happen in next month? Whatever. So this is just a di- disclaimer. We're recording this on the yeah? end, end end of sure. April. So let's go. What's what are the your your major observations with regards to China? What what are you observing there?
1: Why are we where we are? with yep. china why is china doing this that's the question we, we we get all the time and i see it all the time why are they doing this the rest of the world has nearly the rest of the world has found a way to live with COVID. for us here in denmark and most of europe COVID is beginning to feel like a bad dream we had once mm-hmm. uh and and it's going away the, the mask mandates are nearly gone you in the us you can going fly without masks mm-hmm. uh you know it, we're we're free, as it were, right? Why is it that that China takes this approach? I'm not an expert in the field, but but what I'm hearing from people who are is this. China was very, very successful with their zero COVID policy for a very long time.
0: True.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, they didn't manage to get a very large amount of their population vaccinated because there was no need. Uh, also, uh, the, the vaccine is highly questionable, uh, to put it mildly, in terms of its efficacy. And so now, when, when China can not really protect itself against COVID, they simply haven't got the herd immunity in the, in the population that the rest of us have achieved. And so they're deathly afraid that, that corona could really uh, run like a wildfire through the, through, through the country, and it, and it could. So they're still trying to hang on to this zero COVID policy because they feel like they have no other choice. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately that impacts the rest of us because it means that basically like Shanghai shut down, but it was very, okay. You had, you had the Shenzhen shut down, which didn't last very long. Uh, mm-hmm. If that happened again, the whole Shenzhen Bay area. So we started, we're going to start there and then we're going to head up to Shanghai and go even further north, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The whole Shenzhen area, okay, it shut down. That was not felt in the entire supply chain, because that area specializes in more in electronics than in, than in anything else. So the whole Shenzhen complex exports about 12% of China's total exports, but it exports 80% of the electronics exports from China. So clearly people in that sector would be heavily impacted. Um, but the population at large would not be unless they were out looking for the new iPhone. Right, mm-hmm. Shanghai is a comp- and Ningbo is a, com- a completely different source. Uh They account for extraordinary amounts. I don't have the percentages, but massive amounts of China's export go out through those two ports. Ningbo still operating completely. Uh, Shanghai Port is also operating. Uh, it's just that it doesn't really have anything to operate with. They're sort
0: of... It's it's open. Yeah, it's operating on paper. Yeah.
1: The port is open, and and in theory could could if a, if a ship with cargo came in, it would be offloaded quite swiftly. It wouldn't now because Shanghai port is full. So carriers did they, they took advantage of the fact that the port was still open. They understood that this massive bubble of, of pent up uh, shipments is building and building and building. And it's going to require empty boxes. And they did take advantage up until very recently of that and said, well, the port is operating, let's send in ships to be offloaded with all the empties that we can possibly get in there.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Now, of course, the port is bed bit full. I mean, they're they're playing Tetris with very large blocks, uh, just just to make it work, right? They have run out of reefer blocks. You can't send a reefer into Shanghai anymore.
0: And, and I would I would assume they don't have the same problem that they have in LA Long Beach, where they could only stack it like two levels higher, three no, levels higher. No, I
1: didn't story. go a little bit higher than that. in uh, I don't yeah, know, I think wouldn't surprise me if some of the stacks went eight high. Uh, mm-hmm. But 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 they, they don't have the it's the transtainers that really sort determine that, right? So the port is ready, willing and able. The hinterland is not because the the consequence of this zero COVID policy, as you read in that article in the Wall Street Journal that you kindly referenced, is the trucking side of it. A truck driver has to go through multiple tests before he can get to or from customer. The customer themselves, the the factory itself, may be shut down as well if they have one COVID case. They shut also, but it's simply nearly impossible to drive a truck from a factory into the border Shanghai, Drivers are being quarantined. The minute they test positive, they're being quarantined, sometimes in the cabs of their trucks. Container haulage uh, drivers have now basically fitted their cabs with stoves, instant noodles, uh, whatever, because they risk sitting in their truck for a week, 10 days, 2 weeks. And even if uh, you were willing you know, to
0: pay enormous prices for a truckload, you wouldn't get it.
1: No, no. And, 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 and the volume of trucks that it's going to take, right? We're not talking about, well, if only we get sort of a few hundred trucks on the road, we're talking tens of thousands of vehicles that need to somehow be free, and they're not. And there is the bottleneck, right? Mm-hmm. The MC is probably so, – so. so when you look at these very dramatic maps of of shanghai that people like to post on linkedin and i sort of tried to rectify that a little bit recently in, in another post right you see these dramatic maps of extraordinary amounts of 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 sea going things uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, lying yeah. off shanghai uh, and and they make very juicy, compelling visuals that you can show your CEO, but it's not the truth. Yeah, I, I have that. encountered today on marine traffic how many vessels are waiting. Of course, there are a lot.
0: Yeah, but it's not as nearly as dramatic as some people make you think.
1: It's not nearly as dramatic as some people make it. And don't forget, if you, were, you were the one who made the comparison to Long Beach. that they say so the productivity of the Port of Shanghai when it's working at full capacity is a heck of a lot higher. Than the productivity of virtually any port in the United States, and certainly on par with Europe.
0: Is this because of automation, or what's 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 the yeah.
1: reason? Yeah. Automation. Yeah. Automation. It uh, uh, available capacity, available land, mm.
2: uh, above, right? available
1: mm-hmm. number of births All of the above, right? And there are two. Let's not forget, you got Waikoucha and Yangshan. So you have two different ports in Shanghai, right? Yeah, Waikoucha is the old one on the river, and then, and then you got Yangshan. Uh, which is this artificial island with a gigantic port there, with all the all the modern conveniences? Mm-hmm. So the turnaround is going to be quite swift once it opens up. Right? Ningbo is still now questionable. They're in, on yellow status, which is not a good place to be because it means you could be red tomorrow. Uh, I heard uh, uh, rumors that Qingdao is the same. Beijing is moving into moving into yellow stage, uh, or has moved into yellow stage. This is not over at all. Uh, and nobody knows when it will be over. That's the thing with Shanghai right now. Nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows. It could be tomorrow. They've they've talked about soft openings and, you know, could be ease restrictions a little bit here and there, trials. Let's see if it works. But I'm telling you, a minute that three or four truck drivers catch COVID that way or I found positive they could shut the whole thing down again tomorrow. So that's a problem in and of itself, of course. But the real problem I think I'm trying to work myself into it is actually not Shanghai. Mm-hmm. The real problem is on the other end and I talk about this thing that economists call the ketchup effect. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyway, I love that visual because, you know, <laughs> anybody who's ever shaken a bottle of ketchup to, to that they've just opened, you know what happens when when the vacuum is finally broken right and, and and the bottle will empty quite quickly as will shanghai but the mess is going to be everywhere and it's going to take a long time to clear yeah the mess is not going to be only in, in l.a long beach it's going to be everywhere across the us it's going to be in well anywhere you name it australia latin america europe intra-asia suffering big time and have congestion issues of their own in multiple ports it's it's, it's going to be a global problem uh, when, the, when, the, when the bottle finally breaks the seal, right?
0: And is this something that we've seen before? Or is this something unlike anything we've seen before because it's such a big magnitude? Or can you compare it to a similar situation? We've
1: seen Perhaps. it before a direct port shutdown. No, we've seen something happen in the other end. The best comparison I can come up with is is the, what um, is it, six years ago, the ILWU strike on the West Coast, right, where you had pent up. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the ketchup bottle became the port of Long Beach. And when it finally opened up again, boom, the mess was out there. And we calculated at the time quite thorough analysis of it. That that alone, those whatever three weeks of labor issues in, in one port, Long Beach took six months to clear up. Six mm-hmm. months. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> and with the greatest respect to Long Beach and, and, and L.A., Shanghai is in a different league. This will take a very long time because when those containers then hit the European car ports and the U.S. ports, they will run into all manner of problems. In the European ports, they will, like Shanghai, they have very high productivity, high levels of automation. They will be able to clear or unload the vessels quite swiftly, but you have massive truck driver issues, and now we get to Ukraine uh you know, a lot of these drivers were ukrainian mm-hmm. uh a lot of them went back to ukraine only to discover that now even if they wanted to they can't leave ukraine because if you're a fighting age and a man then you yeah. can't leave ukraine you can't so there's a massive shortage of truck drivers there is a shortage of pallets a lot of these uh, products have to be palletized and so when you offload a container that's block stacked and you uh, you have to palletize uh the cargo to move it around the warehouses. You can't offload that container until you have those pallets available. Unfortunately, there's a massive pallet shortage in Europe. Why? Because pallets require nails, and an ungodly percentage of the nails used for pallets in Europe were made in Russia. Okay. (laughs) It's an excellent example of these tiny little things. I mean, there's a Shakespeare quote from George the whatever, for want of a nail a uh, horse was lost right and you we are really in the for want of a nail situation
0: I love those second and third order effects that nobody's thinking about right this I, is, this no, is craziness, but they're yeah.
1: huge they're dramatic right yeah. uh, and, and uh, they have a massive impact because that will then build New bottlenecks, new build ups when they hit the U.S. Well, we all know what happens when massive amounts of cargo hit the U.S. quickly, uh, so the problem will be transferred to there. The U.S. will hinterland situation will not be fixed anytime soon. The railroad's performance is dismal. There's a massive truck shortage. Uh, there are not enough trucks. There are not enough chassis. There are no overflow warehouses available. It's a mess, yeah. I, an absolute mess. Right, so we we continue with the ketchup analogy, build that out a little bit, and let's say, well, at least if that ketchup hit a sponge that could absorb it and, and move it on. Well, that would be great, but it's not as fun. It's hitting hard concrete uh, instead that the mess is going to spread.
0: Maybe the other and the other way to look at it um, or maybe just to take a contrary view is that, okay, there's a couple of ports in China. Yes, it's the biggest port in the world. It's the biggest manufacturing sure. area in the world. Yeah. But if you spread it out across the US, West Coast and East mm-hmm. Coast, in Europe and Latin America mm-hmm. and so forth, Things aren't going to be as bad because it's whatever comes out of China is eventually going to distribute across the whole world, yeah. and it's not as bad. Is is, is that a valid Maybe argument? It or is is. It?
1: No, oh, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it isn't because the rest of the world is not ready to receive the the tsunami of cargo that's pent up. Right? I forget how many the 27 million boxes or something every year that go out through Shanghai it is not going to work. this Okay, we're going to spread the mess all over the place. It's still going to be a mess. going to be a much wider spread mess.
0: Has some of the most urgent stuff been moved to air freight? Um, or some of it, that but air
1: freight is yeah. also suffering, right? I mean, uh, yeah. to a large extent, uh, you can't even land in, in, in Pudong Airport because COVID. Restrictions, zero policy. They don't have enough facilities to for for the crew uh, to quarantine in as they are supposed to. So no, uh, what can be moved to air and can pay for it has been moved to air. But that capacity, there is no capacity yeah. uh, either because there are, there are no passenger flights to begin with. So that takes something like forty percent of the of the air freight yeah. capacity out of the system because of no Bailey Hall. Uh, and and the freighters are not landing in Shanghai right now because either they are not allowed or there are crew restrictions, quarantine restrictions, all kinds of other fun stuff. Plus, there's no one in the airport to serve service the aircraft.
0: And then on top, train and rail isn't an know, option either. They go, they're going it's going through, through Russia. Russia. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, technically speaking, technically it's actually not illegal. Technically, it's not. Yeah, but nobody wants to take the risk. The right? sanction, nobody wants to. Nobody s- wants to. Take, nobody wants to take the risk. Right. And then your only other option is the southern corridor that goes through Kazakhstan. Um, but now you're up to 32 days transit time to get the cargo to Poland if you want to avoid Ukraine, and 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 it costs a fortune, and the capacity is not there either. Yeah. It's, it's, we're stuck. <laughs> we're absolutely stuck. your one and only option right now if you can't lay your hands on air freight, is to shift production elsewhere. And there are countries that have benefited from that quite extensively. Vietnam is an excellent example of a country that benefited. They obviously had massive COVID problems of their own, but they seem to have sort of put it behind them. And Vietnam has, has benefited quite a lot, particularly on the electronic side of, of companies, at least diversifying that production base away from, from China, right? But... <laughs> If you're a supply chain planner now, or an S&OP, executive at a company that relies heavily on ocean freight out of China, you don't sleep well at night right now. Uh, don't ask a person like that what keeps you awake at night. <laughs> You'll <laughs> never hear the end of it.
0: Not even as a rhetorical question.
1: <laughs> no, and then the question on everybody's uh, mind is, okay, which port is next? Is it going to be Ningbo and Shanghai opens? Will they open corridors from Shanghai to Ningbo so that you can move cargo there? Maybe. Right now? no. That could be an option, um, but again, the truckers will have to be tested God knows how many times before they make it to the port of Ningbo, and that port is more heavily congested than than Shanghai now because it's open, and there are there is a lot of manufacturing, of course, in the Ningbo area. That port is congested, but working, the whole chain is kind of working, but has enough to do already with just the Ningbo cargo. It's much like, Qingdao, I mean, they're there. You can speculate endlessly.
2: Yeah,
0: and also, I mean, we've, we, we're talking about China very much as a supply region, but it's I mean, also yeah. it's it's also a major market for European and for U.S. companies to sell into. Yes. Yeah. and none of the stuff is getting through, this is going to hurt a lot of economies that rely on a lot of them
1: have local. A lot of them have local manufacturing to serve the local markets in China, but that local manufacturing to a large extent does, re- does depend on raw material for those factories coming into China, and of course that's a problem as well. Yep. Uh, if those factories are in the Shenzhen area, you're okay for now uh, uh, on the electronics side and what it gets produced in Shenzhen, other than the electronics. When I say Shenzhen, I mean the entire complex, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of, 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 ports. Uh, if you're in the electronics industry and you can lay your hands on microchips because there's another one of your secondary or tertiary problems, uh, then you're going to be okay out of Shenzhen for now. Uh, microchips is another interesting one. If you want to keep coming up with these second and third degree examples combined with the one Ukraine, uh, you can't, apparently make a microchip without neon gas. Uh, something like 80% of the world's neon came out of Ukraine. Uh, and the feedstock to make that neon came from UTA, you guessed it, Russia. So so that will very shortly, if it hasn't already, lead to a massive shortage of microchips, which is why all of a sudden, your, your cars that were already only going to be delivered in 12 months, is now 18 months, 24 months, uh, uh Name something other than other than clothes that doesn't have a microchip in it, right? Or 10 or 20 microchips in it. God knows how many microchips there are in an electric car, one car, right? Sure. I yeah. don't know, but I'm betting it's a lot, 50, 60, 70. I don't know. So, But but if you can lay your hands on chips, you're manufacturing electronics, you're good out of Shenzhen, right? And that's not the problem. And you can get raw material in as well, which you will have to because those chips are not made in China. But if you're anywhere other than that, Shaman well, will still work. Still does work. Start going further north. Uh, the, I, I don't have the answer. I don't think anybody has the answer. Not even in Beijing. They don't have the answer.
0: Yeah, but let's let's nonetheless shift the conversation a little bit to some advice that you would have. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've you've been around the block. You've seen crises where you haven't. Manage a crisis like this before. It's, it's, it's else. quite 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 nuances, but but maybe some some thoughts on concrete advice you would give to someone that's relying very heavily on 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 China right now and on particularly on on ocean freight from China. Let's focus on that maybe.
1: Uh, I think that advice is, is simple, and most people will have already taken it. Find different places to source it at least temporarily.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, if you're not it's sitting awesome. on massive you're not sitting on massive stock in wherever you are, Europe, U.S. or Latin America, and a lot of people aren't at all sitting on massive stock, uh, then your only option is to try and find alternative sourcing outside of China. And it do exist. We always talk about low-cost country sourcing, and, and, and people mean China. A lot of places for low-cost country sourcing. We've, we've been talking forever about near-shoring and right-shoring or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Some of that is happening now to the extent that people can find raw material and supplies in their areas. It's not a a big wave yet, but it's a bigger wave than I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: Even though some of the places can't quite compete with China, they can get close. You've got Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Philippines, possibly. You've got... And the idea is not um, so to my,
0: to rely on another region and then get stuck there, but it's, it's the yeah. idea is to diversify. We well, right? have, so have, yeah,
1: yeah, have to spread yeah. the risk. Yeah, we have to so, spread the risk. So those who had alternative sourcing of identical products already going, they are laughing all the way to the bank because they've got stuff to put on put on shelves or floors in in, in, the, in the retail space. Uh, and there's a lesson there. Maybe it's not a lesson that's easily easily implemented overnight, but a lesson that really really needs to be taken up all the way at the boardroom level is diversification of, of uh, manufacturing in geographical terms, right? Yes, mm-hmm. I understand that when it's humming, nobody can beat China. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost impossible to beat China.
0: And you could argue that it will be humming again, there's no doubt about it, and just when it this passes... It will be
1: humming again, but it could also shut down again, right? And this should just provide a lesson uh, for people in how uh, single sourcing, whether that's single source from a supplier or from a country, is a very bad, no good, terrible idea. Uh, and always has been. But people have gotten away with it and they've been saying sort of, well it's so cheap out of China why would we want to add you know, a dollar per widget to manufacture some of it in Vietnam and we can get it out of China no problem. Well there you go. We saw shadows of that in the, in the uh, tsunami, uh, an earthquake in Japan and the meltdown of the Fukushima plant. There were shades of that as well but the volume, the scale was not there to really make people sit up and pay attention.
2: Mm.
1: Right here, the scale is there, and you really, really need to think about diversifying your geographical footprint. Yeah, uh, and
0: that's a that's more of a uh, long term thing. I mean, there's nothing that people can do immediately. But well, depends on who you are.
1: Depends on who you are uh, uh, and what you do and what you manufacture. Clearly, if you're making semiconductors, for example, uh, well, the, uh, a wafer fab. Is bolted to the centre of the Earth costs billions of dollars and takes three or four years to build. Well, okay, then it does. Well, then start it now somewhere, and in three or four years, at least you'll have uh, you'll, you'll you'll be managing your risk in a, in, a, in a better way. But to just sit here and say takes a long time and cost a lot of money is is not a good excuse anymore. We've seen that, right? But there are other products that you can you can source from other countries, some contract manufacturers that already have the capability to make these things. And it's time to engage them in a conversation, all right? Uh, even if you have to pay a little bit more, I mean, look at customers and I willing to pay 15, sometimes $20,000 to move a box uh, from, from, let's say, Shanghai to, 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 to the Midwest in the U.S. You know, three years ago, they were screaming if the rate went above 3,500. So if, if that dynamic exists in the company, they're still prepared to go from 3,500 to 16,000, then why should they not transfer that mindset to, to manufacturing and globalizing their footprint, uh, even if it costs them a little bit more per whatever they make, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, not, it's not that the whole world now needs to start building new factories. A lot of those factories exist elsewhere in the world if you can get raw material to them.
0: Any concrete device, transportation-related? So if you're in charge of, of running global transportation uh, and sourcing out of China and wanting to bring stuff in and making these tough choices and trying to assess the situation, what's what's your best take?
1: I think it's science, well, you Well, first of all, you need to spread your risk again. I, I, mm-hmm. this, this is the red thread that runs through all the conversations that I'm having. Indeed, the one we're currently having is, is, is around risk management and spreading the risk, this this, this whole centralization of, of manufacturing and therefore centralization of risk, is, is it's time to end it, right? So you need to do two things uh, if your volume will, will, will carry it. First of all, you need to diversify your carrier portfolio. Mm-hmm. You need to be in every alliance uh, if you can. And you need to start thinking about long-term preferably index-linked. Uh, rate structures which is big right now a lot of people are talking about it some people are hiring people like me to advise them on it where a year ago everybody was poo-pooing the idea on both sides of the aisle it's now become interesting if you index link the, the, the problem with, with long-term contractors people are scared of signing them, especially well actually on both sides because there's terrible risk associated with fixing a rate for mm-hmm. a very long period of time and that's where the index-linked contract comes into play. Now you're not fixing the rate over a long period of time. You're you're tying it to the development in the overall market rates, good and bad. Okay.
0: So you so you're not dramatically under or over, but you're tying it to no. to the well, price. Yeah.
1: The trick with an index-linked contract is a to agree on the index, uh, b to agree on the starting point, and c to agree on whether there are floors and ceilings in the in the in the the rate development it says no matter what the index says the rate can never be higher than this and no matter what it says it can never be lower than this and this now we are talking collaboration i hate the term partnership you know that we've had this discussion before uh, <laughs> but but uh,
0: and you're saying all of this as a backdrop we, we started this conversation you talking about the bad blood that's that's um, well that's yeah
1: it's also one way to relieve the pressure right? That, that they can start having these adult conversations. Then then the bad blood doesn't need to be released with the rates drop because the index, uh, indexation will take care of that, right? Now we mm-hmm. can go back to actually managing supply chains rather than managing our bad feelings.
0: Yeah, and explain to me again what 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 keeps people, what keeps shippers and carriers uh, from using index-based rates?
1: Some carriers don't like them. You can't kind of, not, not all carriers like. They've been around forever, and mm-hmm. I fell in love with them about uh, 14 years ago when I actually was was a pioneer in that field and signed. One of the first index-linked contracts uh, uh, with uh, with Muris, and and we were we designed it from the ground up, and it's still being sold more or less in that format to 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 other customers, right? What's keeping people from it is a they don't understand it, Mm -hmm. right? They think it's something to do with futures or, or speculation or there's nothing of the sort. It's a pure rate regulation. It's not about futures and, and hedges and products that only finance, finance people understand. Not at all. Very practical. Carriers are, are terrified that you know the rates will, will drop quickly and if the index is adjusted every three months, then they can't hide behind the fact that there's six months left of a fixed contract because now it gets adjusted. Shippers are terrified of it because they think they'll be caught, you know, paying astronomical rates when the index just jumps like crazy. And this is where these floors and ceilings come in that you need to build into it that says, okay, mm-hmm. everybody accepts the risk, all right. So let's just take totally random numbers. We, we set the starting rate at $5,000 for whatever size to, um, to you. But we agree that it can never go north of seven and it can never go south of three. No matter what happens, the shipper you take the risk that it could go to seven, right? Could go to seven in three months. But carrier takes the risk that it could go 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 really low, but the floor will stop it from going crazy low, right? So you can only really have those conversations with people who share your who share that mindset. Uh, and I would say there are probably five, maybe six of the of the top twenty carriers who will play. Mm-hmm. There are some that are vehemently opposed to it because they're riding the spot and they're happy with that and they're making tons of money. That's no secret. I think is a very short-sighted view, but it is what it is. Right? So you need to sort of build what uh, George W. Bush once called the Coalition of the Willing. Right, uh, yeah. <laughs> that they they okay, fine. Uh, not everybody will play, but then play with the ones who will.
0: And on the shipper side, you have to have a certain size and cloud. I mean, obviously, you have to be de- dealing directly with carriers, so you have to have a certain size.
1: Not necessarily. I've seen I've seen people sign index contracts for less than ten thousand TEO. It, it's not really that complicated. As a matter of fact, these days we used to say volume is your friend. Um, but that any purchaser of anything will know that you get so far more volume is no longer your friend; It's actually your enemy because you become more dependent on the supplier than they are on you. Right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so if you're, let's say, a very large, large North American retailer that begins with W, uh, and, and 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 you're and and and, and you've got, and you're building your own shipping your, line, yeah. right? That's a new trend. No, no, no. no that's that that one begins with L. Uh, <laughs> yeah but that's a different story then in today's market it's not easy to find the space and you're no longer popular nor do you necessarily get the best rates because you have the volume you've actually become more difficult for the carrier to manage than smaller customers you know, i find smaller clients sometimes get surprisingly good rates because they fit in they're easier to fit in they're easier for the carrier to play with okay. uh when it comes time to to to, to plan the vessel so I don't think it's true that that you have to be huge in order to um, to play this game. I can't tell you whether there's a magic number that says if you have X hundred thousand TU, then then you know you're always welcome, and if you have below this, then nobody wants to touch you. That's not true anymore. Used to be, but it's not true anymore. At least, not from what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we've been talking a lot about the rate side and the cost side of things. Mm-hmm. What about service yeah. quality? Is there anything in the contract, for, from a shipper <laughs> perspective, that you should be <laughs> should be um, <laughs> moving on and, and just be creative about? and how do you improve yeah. or build service quality into the contract ah. a little better?
1: So it's difficult again when you're not in the driver's seat as a shipper to to, to, to make demands like that. Uh, it's the worst aspect, uh, which obviously we spend a lot of time on in sea intelligence. That schedule accuracy levels are the whole phrase line to, to call it liner shipping is almost a joke. This is we're back to tramp shipping here. The vessel comes when it comes and goes when it goes. Right? Uh, seriously, it's a joke. This is not liner shipping in the sense that. Every week, you can more or less set your clock by the fact that this vessel will be important. So on. that notion has died a death now. Congestion has a lot to do with that. When you've got all of a sudden vessels flying up to three weeks outside of LA Long Beach waiting to get in, well, then <laughs> what do you expect, right? The whole system will come up and schedule accuracy will go out the window. Uh, On the other hand, I think carers are absolutely terrible at at selling. I I sat next to a a fairly, not fairly, very high up executive from a very large shipping line a couple months ago. And we were talking about it. And I said, I don't get it. I could get your schedule accuracy to a hundred percent on Tuesday. This was a Friday. And he laughed. He said, no, you can't say I can. How go tell your salespeople to stop lying to the customers." (laughs) (laughs) Start publishing schedules that you know are not true mm-hmm. or stop publishing schedules that you know simply will not hold. Fake the time. Yeah, but then we don't get the business because I know like, you will get the business because customers will trust you because you speak the truth and mm-hmm. the schedule accuracy will go through the roof and you'll look great. It's not entirely carriers fault, but I do blame the carriers for not telling the truth uh, in their, in their published schedules, right? because the truth is right now there is no penalty outside of a few very, very large customers. There is no penalty for late delivery. And under the current circumstances with the current balance of power, it's well near impossible for a shipper to bake that in. So, Schedule accuracy, I don't think you will get into any contract. But service level accuracy is a different story. In an ideal world schedule accuracy, should be part of the balance scorecard. But there are other elements, uh, uh, account management, conflict resolution, equipment availability, and things like this that that, that can easily go into contracts. They can go in there with penalties, and they can go in there with rewards. One of the things shippers have never understood they always want to bake penalties for non performance in. I've always found it easier if you combine that with rewards for overperformance. Mm-hmm. No carrier is just going to agree to only being penalized. If there's no reward in, there's nothing in it for them.
0: They want sticks and carrots.
1: <laughs> yeah, like carrots. No, yeah. Well, right now the, the, right now, the carrier strategy, the stick and carrot strategy, is they'll beat the customers with their stick until they give them all their carrots. <laughs> <laughs> a different, a different discussion. Uh, but, but frankly, that's been the the customer approach for so long. The bad blood goes both ways, by the
2: way. Yeah, I mean, I
1: also know carrier uh, executives who are having a great time right now uh, mm-hmm. when when they're in customer meetings. Right. So it's it's much more about which which quality parameters, which service quality parameters can you realistically measure. And will you then attach rewards or penalties uh, to it? That becomes also much easier if you enter into long-term contracts, because now you're you're much more tied to each other over a longer period of time, and these discussions become normal and proactive rather than transactional and reactive as as, as they normally been. Uh, this you can do for sure. Very few people do it, but it's very doable if you know how.
0: Yeah, I'm just checking the clock here. We spent almost almost an hour diving deep mm. into this into this topic and, yeah. we, and I still feel like we've only scratched the surface because there's so much oh, to uncover yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah, we need to do a second round at some point in time sure. but maybe as a as a parting parting words are there any aspects I know you're sometimes you can be a contrarian which I like very much are there any aspects of this of this crisis where you feel like you have a viewpoint that's against the mainstream that's sort of against the grain that's sort of that, that your peers really don't get something that comes to mind um, that you could share
1: Oh, you're asking me to be contrarian. Normally, I do it without being asked.
0: The only, uh, only organically. I'm not. I'm not forcing it to any. Comment. If there's
1: if there's something that, great, I mean, if not, I, that's I don't. Not. I don't. I don't think I hold any viewpoints that are very contrary to 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 uh, to the overall understanding of the market. Overall understanding of the market. I have plenty of contrarian views when we dive into details, especially when up when when I'm discussing with VCOs who really don't understand the deeper. Elements of of liner operations, and vice versa. When I deal with with, with carriers who simply don't understand. The world of manufacturing outside of the port-to-port uh, elements or the port-to-door element. I don't have any contrarian views. I have views on the crisis of, of, of what it will bring. That is good and the uh-huh. best. Okay, the Let's best go with that, part then. <laughs> of this crisis. There's always there's always a silver lining in every cloud, right? The silver lining here is that the C-suite in every company all over the world have woken up to the fact, finally. Mm-hmm. that they apparently have some something called a supply chain, and apparently it's important. <laughs> yes. and, and apparently we should invest money in it and time in it and people in it and upgrade our skill sets just like we have with every other element. Supply chain has always lived a shadow existence in any company because things just work, but we just give it to the boys in shipping and they'll take care of it. Uh, now CEOs have really woken up. Uh, money is being spent, money is being invested in systems uh, and, and in people, as I said. and, and supply chain has come uh, has become a, a fixed agenda, not only at board meetings and, and monthly management meetings, but also in annual reports. I got for the first time ever, we're starting to see the word logistics and supply chain appear in quarterly and annual reports for, for, for almost every company. It's sad that it would happen on this background. But I'm absolutely delighted every time I see it, and that's the best thing that has come of this crisis. Let's hope it stays that way. Yeah, I was going to say it's All not right. just
0: a sign of the times, and things are going to go back to the old the no, old ways. I don't this think
1: so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And risk management will, uh, in, in and the supply chain context, will also be be receiving a lot more attention than it has in the past. So those two things I, I would take away as. As, 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 as silver linings. But a contrarian view, if I have one, is I believe this could last through 2023. Most people are still hoping or dreaming that it's maximum this year, and then things will start to normalize. I don't think so. Okay, there awesome. you have it. There's your contrary. Yeah. Your-
0: Thank you very much. I finally teased it out of you.
1: <laughs> much appreciated, <laughs>
0: and I hold you accountable too. So we'll we'll schedule the next the next call, the next um, conversation. Oh, this, was, in a I of
1: this whole conversation was off the rig. <laughs> yeah, yes, oh, that's no. what you think, right? <laughs> <laughs> I recorded the
0: pre-conversation too, and I'm going to record what we're going to say oh, when the no, microphone is off no, too. No. No. Oh dear. of course not Bjorn as always it was a pleasure thank you very much for your insights I always really much enjoyed diving deep into this kind of stuff with you I just really really value your your viewpoints and your experience
1: thank you uh, thank Good you Boris it was a pleasure and uh, I'm always happy to come back and and, oh, and, and have a, an even deeper conversation on different topics it's a fascinating world for those of us who find these kinds of things fascinating
0: awesome I'll hold you to it thanks again and take thank care thank you for having
1: me bye. cheers bye
0: All right, that was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Björn Fank Jensen from Sea Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgentrier. Until next
2: time.